Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is On the Grid. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On the Grid here on my podcast, House.com, or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. A massive week of motorsport it has been, and we will review. The Bathurst 12-hour, you will have heard all the action on RS1. If you were over there or over here on Tally, if you went, fantastic. Richard Crail, one of the main callers, will join us to have a chat about that a little bit later on with Mark Walker. We'll dissect what happened in the 12-hour and look forward to the Bathurst 500, first round of the supercars for 2024. Before that, though, Richard and I will have a chat to Jackson Evans. What a great effort he put in in the 12-hour. And now we find him being a rookie, having his debut as a full-time supercar driver starting this week at Bathurst. What a great uh, thing for him to be doing. We'll find out how he feels about it right after this, here on The Grid. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. Well, first of all, let's say good day to Richard Crowell, as we always do off the top of the program. Hello, Krause. Hello, Shebex. What a good weekend in motorsport that was. The Repco Bathurst 12-hour, always a beauty and uh, another captivating car race, uh, which we'll talk about in depth a little bit later on. Yeah, we certainly will. And, uh, but I will say right now, and I'll say it again later, uh, congratulations to you and the team, mate. The, 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 the product that comes out at the other end at the television side, which you don't see on the day and all that sort of stuff, or in the, in the days leading up to, it's just... It's spectacular. It's as good as anything that's been produced motor racing-wise in the world. So congratulations to you guys. Yeah, thanks, Shebex. It's um, thanks, Shebex. It's great. It's it's such a big day at the office. But the funny thing about the weekend's race was was that we, being myself, John Hindoff, and Garth Tander, we got to the end and. and Nath was in our ears and said, okay, you guys are clear. And we both went, wow, that day went so quickly. At no point did we get an indication of the passage of time throughout that. So I think it speaks to the quality of the race as to how much was going on over the course of the day that it just felt like it flew by. It felt like a six-hour race. So, yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a cool day and it was a, a good show, I think, in the end as well. Uh, it certainly was, mate. And I'll tell you what, for drivers up there, to drive around Bathurst once, in a year would be a fantastic thing to get the opportunity to drive there twice in the space of seven days is a pretty amazing thing. And we've got a guy on the line who's going to do that. Jackson Evans, who of course was involved in the 12 hour and will be getting his first full-time start in the supercar championship, the Repco supercar championship this weekend in the Bathurst 500. And he joins us on the line now, Jackson, uh, first of all, congratulations on what was uh, not a bad weekend for you. Yeah, look, um, obviously, thanks for having having a chat with me. Uh, uh, spoke with Krause a little bit over the weekend, but I feel like it's been a, a long time, a long time coming, chatting to you once yes, again. But, uh, you know, really, uh, really big weekend for us, I guess you could say. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously looking forward to doing it all over again in a completely different car. 
before we dive too deeply into the weekend to come, let's talk about those last 25 minutes, shall we? Uh, you're in the Phantom Global Porsche. You're racing probably six of the best GT3 drivers anywhere in the world at the moment, including your old mate, Mem Campbell, and Jules Gunon, who's smoked everybody in this race for the last couple of years. And a nice cheeky little move under brakes at the chase. Just talk us through that little exchange and um, what might have been going through your mind at the moment, please. Yeah, look, it was uh, it was certainly an intense last 30 minutes. Um, you know, you you spend all day trying to stay out of the carnage and survive the conditions, uh, which Bathurst certainly threw at us. And, you know, I was in for the end and I was like, well, now it's a bit of a sprint race. And uh, I had a very big and very fast BMW on a straight line in, in the queue behind me, which I was more so nervous about, I think. Um, but I thought, you know, if I'm if I'm looking forward and trying to at least make a move for second, then uh, I don't have to worry about being overtaken. And uh, yeah, it was it was intense. And you know, I I can confidently say that that was probably the most intense thirty minutes that I've had in a race car from from what I can remember. You know, just the pressure that I could kind of feel or felt like was on the line of you know, trying to secure a podium place, uh, for this brand new team, um, you know, starting from P18, it was already a good result to be running, uh, as high as what we were, but, you know, I wanted maybe a little bit too much and and I went for a move, uh, for second place. And, you know, at, at the time, or maybe not at the time of the actual move, but leading up to that, I thought what a great result it would be, you know, for the team, for Porsche, uh, for a lot of people that have supported both Maddie and myself in our, in our careers to date. Uh, to see a one-two result and you know unfortunately it didn't stick and uh and we fell off the podium but I think you know overall it was was uh was an opportunity that I didn't think was was uh well I thought was too good not to try and try and go for and you know unfortunately I I got the the sour end of the stick but uh you know really happy with the way that we performed and uh you know it was one of those I guess hero moves that you would have mm -hmm. been if you pulled it off but uh it wasn't quite to be but you guys were in the mix all day and the way you sort of crept up on it through that first half of the race in particular was really impressive. And your two co-drivers did an outstanding job of that as well. But just talk about the way you guys worked into that race, because like you said, the qualifying wasn't spectacular, but the beauty of a 12 hour race is you can work your way through the field, but it, it, it seemed like you, you were really just under the radar in that first first sort of six hours and then you became a, a contender with everybody else towards the end yeah like look to be perfectly honest not not everyone knows what was happening in the background and um you know there was some shipping delays and the team actually didn't get their container with tools and spare parts and things until thursday morning uh at about 7 a.m so you know we didn't want to blame that and and use it as an excuse to not have any performance but uh it did really feel like we were behind the eight ball uh, when it came to practice and obviously once the the weekend started with practice you're sort of you know charging on from there and you know it was a, it was a credit to the team the mechanics slept 10 hours from Thursday to Sunday morning uh, mm. and then obviously put in some some big big shifts with pit stops and things like that during the 12-hour race so you know I think that's where we lost a little bit of qualifying performance um, just didn't quite nail it and yeah I guess you could say that maybe took us off the radar of everyone uh, starting all the way down in P18 and basically the last GD3 car. Um, so, you know, I, I was lucky enough to take the start. Uh, not that I had a choice. The, the <laughs> teammates, uh, my teammates decided that, you know, I had a bit more experience than them here. 
uh, being their first time. So they were like, well, you can do it and and we trust you and you can, you know, move us forward in the, in the, in the race. And, you know, yeah, we just went about it. We just knew that our target was to survive first of all, but, you know, just keep chipping away and not make any mistakes on track, try and be as solid as we could in the pit lane um, and things like that. And yeah, like you said, when the rain came around and that, that last half of the race, we, we showed that we were going to be contenders and whether that was wet or dry conditions, we were pretty speedy. So, you know, it was, it was nice to actually not have any sort of pressure of being a favorite or anything like that, just not cruising around during the race, but, uh, you know, quietly achieving. Bathurst is tough enough as it is when it's dry. Take us through driving around that place in the wet. It must be harrowing. Yeah, it, it is. It's like, it's such a beautiful place to drive. Uh, it's such a challenge for the drivers. And I think that's why we all love it. Uh, both the Aussies and Kiwis, but you know, the European guys that come over, they say it's one of the best tracks they, they ever have driven and, and probably will ever get to drive. Uh, there's not quite anything for me that compares to the same sensation you get when you actually nail a lap around Bathurst and, uh, to throw the weather in the mix halfway through a race, um, where not everyone has experience in the wet and i myself probably only have a couple of laps in you know a cup car or uh something similar in the wet so you know you're midway through a 12-hour race and you jump in the car and you have to go and perform you don't get this sort of grace period of mm. building up to it and things like that and it's just an added challenge it's uh it's a track that requires a lot of respect in the dry but even more so in the wet and um you know i think everyone did a really good job of of managing that and you know trying to keep it clean and yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's good experience, put it that way. <laughs> Talk about this team because you touched on the fact that it's a brand new outfit that uh, hasn't really raced before and a little joining of forces with, with Phantom out of China and Timo Bernhardt's Team 75 behind the scenes and then Joel Erickson and Bastian Boost jumping on board with yourself. Um, it, it all seemed to gel really, really well. Yeah, look, it's a it's a really cool thing that they've got going. Um, obviously, Phantom Global uh, being the the main entry or the name that the team's running under. But like you touched on the uh, the collaboration with Team Seventy Five and and Timo Bernhard um, as a Porsche ambassador, it's uh, it was really strong. You know, there was still obviously some some little teething issues that happened with new teams and new partnerships. But you know, I think everyone can kind of hold their head quite high and. It did seem to work. You know, we have three languages being spoken, obviously Chinese, German, and and obviously English. So everyone kind of stuck to what they knew and who they knew, but it somehow seemed to work really well. And, uh, you know, working with with Joel and, and Bastian, I know uh, I know Joel from sharing a car at the Nürburgring um, with Falcon back in the day, and obviously Bastian from being a Porsche junior and, and racing against him in Super Cup. So, you know, I think as drivers, we gelled really well. Uh, but Timo Bernhard does a, a really good job of managing expectations. And I think that really reflects on him being an ex-driver uh, and obviously very su successful driver. So he knows, you know, what the drivers want, what the team needs. And, you know, it's just a different point of view. And I think that's what really helps make it gel. Uh, in, in regards to, we talk about new teams, obviously you're in a brand new team in supercars as well. How's the settling in period been for you? And I suppose you've got a little bit of an advantage, the fact that you've driven with them a couple of times over the last couple of years. So you should know the basics of the team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 
really nice to walk into a workshop and see familiar faces. Um, obviously, you only spend, you know, one or two weekends with the teams for the endurance races. Um, so, you know, to to be joining BJR full time is uh, is nice to have that continuity, which is quite strange for someone that's new to the championship. Um, but, you know, I've, I've got the same engineer and same mechanics on my car as um, what I did last year when I co-drove with Jack Smith. Uh, which is really nice, but, you know, different team dynamic. It's new to me. Um, you know, I've been so accustomed now to driving for many different teams uh, throughout, you know, a single season with Porsche being sent different countries, uh, different championships, same car. Um, but, you you know, you meet and you have to gel basically straight away. Uh, you don't really get to learn people's personalities, which has been a nice thing or a nice change with the BJR guys. And, you know, I think um, that only stems more confidence for all of us. And, you know, we can, uh, we can build more of a relationship rather than just a transactional thing at the racetrack, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the, the next question, Jackson, I, I suppose it's kind of an obvious one, but why, why was this the right time for you to go this opportunities here, I'm going to grab it. When I imagine it was Andy Jones who picked up the phone and and dialed you up, having raced with you and been part of that program for the last couple of years. Um, why now? What what prompted you to to take this opportunity? Yeah, look, it, I mean, yeah, it was Andrew, Andrew Jones that was on the phone, and you know, he he contacted me straight after the Bathurst 1000 last year, and you know, he he just sort of tentatively touched on the subject that Jack may not be racing in 2024. And, you know, at that time, to be perfectly honest, I was like, doesn't sound like a bad idea, but it's not what I'm going to be doing next year. Because mm -hmm. at the same point, I was still in negotiations with Porsche uh, about extending my contract. And, you know, even a, another manufacturer that I went and tested with uh, to sign a factory deal with them. And I had these options on the table. Um, you know, things maybe weren't going this the way that I had envisioned uh, with certain negotiations and things like that. So the door was always open with Andrew and uh, I really have to thank him for, you know, keeping that door open for as long as he could, um, you know, to reflect more uh, well, to then wait for my decision. And, uh, you know, like we, we went into some deep discussions on what I would want and, you know, require for me to come back here and, you know, I have a, a, a life set up in in the UK and my partner's based over there and it's kind of where I thought I was going to be spending at least the next four or five years of my my racing career um mm. but you know things changed and and it all changed pretty quickly and you know we were back here for Christmas um well pretty early in December which was not long after we uh, not long before we confirmed but uh you know at that stage it was still negotiations we were still talking and I think just the the idea of being back in Australia, the lifestyle, um, being closer to my family who I've not, you know, been close to for the last six years uh, was something that I kind of didn't want to turn down. Um, it's not easy to get into supercars in the first place, uh, but to walk into something that I had a bit of say on what I wanted and what I, you know, needed to make sure that this was going to be a, a working program for both parties Um was a was a pretty good opportunity well it was a very good opportunity and that's that's why mm. i took it so you know at the same time i've kept my relationships open with porsche and you know i'm still contracted to them but it's not uh not an exclusive thing great good answer 
very good answer and uh, a, a great reason to do it, especially the lifestyle uh, change over here. I'm sure that would have played a massive part. Uh, for most rookies who come into the supercar series, as we talk to them about how do they think they're going to go in the first year, and a lot of it's about got some tracks to learn, you know, all this sort of stuff, learn the team and the like. I presume in the Supercars Championship, you're pretty much driven every track, and I include Taupo in that as well. Yeah, it's... um. It is funny, you know the rookie the rookie tag is something that obviously you get when you haven't been a main game driver in supercars, and I don't think it's a bad thing, uh, you know, because after driving, especially this Gen three car last year, it really is a, a different car, and you know it's a completely different driving style, and and even the way that the championship and and the races run is very new to me. Um, so I do feel like a bit of a rookie. And I'm not saying that so that I can use that as an excuse if I make any mistakes, but, um, you know, I think that that will happen. And like you said, I, I know most of the tracks, um, nearly all of them. And I actually haven't driven at, uh, Taupo, um, although it is close to where I was born. Um, but look, it's, it's nice to be going back to New Zealand and hopefully I'll have some, some family out there and, and supporting us on and, uh, yeah, we'll see how we go. It's funny because you just imagine that every New Zealand driver's raced at every New Zealand racetrack. One hundred percent. Because it's, I get that because it's such a small place. But um, oh, that, that's yeah. Well, not many people, I don't think, have ever driven at that place. So it's going to be an interesting weekend. So BJR then, um, solid season last year with Andre in in the RNJ car and some really good results, especially in the back half of the season. Um. Do you go into this with an expectation of results or a, a target, I suppose, given that while the team has been strong, you're still in that that sort of learning process of getting up to speed as a full-time driver? Do you, do you sit down and write out, yep, I want to be top 10 by round three, or is it a little bit more fluid than that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we haven't really had, you know, myself and the team had to sit down and say, okay, this is what we want to achieve by this race. Uh, so it is a little bit more fluid than that. And, um, you know, they, they did a really good job last year. And I thought, you know, with the consistent results of, of Andre and, you know, even securing third in the team's championship is a, is a really strong start to the gen three, um, era. So for me, it's, yeah, I haven't really put down or written down a certain result that I want to achieve or, or where I think I should be. I'm, I'm just more so taking it as it comes. And, you know, I know, what I'm capable of, but at the same time, I know that it's not easy. Uh, and the Supercars Championship is is regarded one of the best in the world because the level of competitiveness is so high. You know, there's some really strong drivers, and I think that was even reflected in the Bathurst 12 hour last week. You know, with yeah. the with the top guys and in, in GT machinery that they're not used to. But um, you know, I feel like going the other way from a GT car to a supercar is maybe a a bit of a bigger step, uh, just purely based on the fact that you have less driver assists um, and things like that. But, you know, for me, I just want to be consistent, uh, consistently improving. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't want to be there just to make up the numbers and run around the back. And, you know, that's a, that's a goal of both parties, myself and the team, uh, you know, so we've, we've been in discussions and, you know, as long as we're improving and, and I certainly want to be knocking on the door of the top 10, um, you know, not too late in the year, you know, if I can be, qualifying well uh will be one thing but also racing well and and understanding how to manage these dunlop tires in this car uh is certainly you know going to be a big learning curve but 
I think, you know, if we're, if we're consistently knocking on the door of the top 10 and, you know, even without being too greedy in the top five would be, uh, you know, nice to finish off a, a rookie season going into the the year ahead. Yeah. Does it help to start at Bathurst as well, where you were last in the car? So you're sort of picking up kind of where you left off? Yeah, definitely. I mean, not many people would be like, yeah, okay, I want my bath, uh, my supercars debut to be at Bathurst, but um, <laughs> I'm kind of happy about it because like you said, I know the track and the car together because it's the last mm-hmm. place I drove it other than Winton for testing. So, you know, that side of things, I'm not too, too, uh, too scared of, but at the same time, it's, it's, it requires a lot of commitment. So I need to be, you know, realistic and keep my head on, head on my shoulders and not let it get too far off. Final one from me, mate, before we let you go, and we thank you for your time. Jackson Evans joining us talking about his debut season in supercars. Does he, the the drive for uh, the, the ch- a championship, and I, and I know that's a long way, and I, I don't even expect you to think that you're going to get there. But without Shane Van Gisbergen in a car this year, Brody Kostecki not in this first race and may not be in the. It really opens up the field, doesn't it? it gives everybody an opportunity to to grab a win when they can. Yeah, look, it's it's. I, I don't think it's a changing of the times because obviously it's it's unfortunate that Brody's not at least going to be at the first round. Uh, you know, being the reigning champion and to see Shane step away and go do some think quite big in, in the US is also, you know, exciting. But it was like when Scotty McLaughlin left. Uh obviously I was in Europe at that stage. So I was still watching supercars and, you know, it just opens the door for another, you know, bunch of talent to kind of shine through. And I think you're starting to see that with a lot of young drivers still currently uh, you know, making their way and progressing in the category. And uh not saying that some people are too old, but it's sort of pushing the older guys out, which is I guess as a younger driver, nice to see because it's um it's certainly the top level of Australian motorsport and we want to see some good hard racing and you know you want to be part of it. And that was one of the incentives of me coming back, knowing that it was going to be strong. Um, you know, you're gonna to have to fight for every position and you know, a, a lot of younger guys trying to prove themselves out there. So, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's really cool that the championship is again wide open. Um, you know, second year of this car. People are learning a lot more, and you know I think it it's it's hard to put a put a ticket on who will be the favourite. But um, you know I, I just hope that with our team we have a strong showing, and I can bring some things to the table, and and know that you know together we can achieve some pretty strong results. And finally, for me, it wasn't that long ago that you had your success in Carrera Cup here in Australia. We fondly remember that year and and graduating out of the Sprint Challenge. Um, and there was a great photo that I think Andy McElroy posted this week, which was of yourself. Uh, I think your old boy was in there, but it was yourself, Matt Campbell and Hunter McElroy. And it was a really nice photo. And the caption I thought was even better was that in not a massive amount of time, all three are now being paid professional race car drivers to, to live the dream. Do, do you have an opportunity, mate? And I'm by no way and means saying your career is anywhere near it's finishing point rather than the start you're definitely closer to the beginning but do you have a an opportunity every now and then where you just sit back and go a what a ride it's been in a short space of time but b that you've made this work like you've actually made a career out of this game where so many people have a big crack at it and ultimately have to go and do something else do you do you give yourself that opportunity or are you too much in the moment to be honest 
I I have given myself that opportunity. Um, Good. It's a it's a tough one because obviously you don't when you're in the heat of the moment and you you know you're trying to make sure you've got something lined up for the following year and and whatnot. It's hard to not sit back and think actually I've come this far, so don't stress so much. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Because it's like anyone in in any job. Like if if you if you know your times maybe coming to an end with a certain company or manufacturer, you're not sure what to do or where to go. But, you know, I did have that moment last year uh, where I sat back and I kind of thought about it. And I was like, you know, I haven't taken the uh, conventional pathway to supercars. Not that there is a certain one, but, you know, to stay in Australia and go through Super 3 and Super 2 um, after Career Cup or, you know, go from Career Cup directly into supercars. So, you know, I'm really proud of what I've achieved overseas and, to sit back and have a look and think about that is, is a really cool, cool thing to do. And, you know, I feel like this is not the end of that life overseas, uh, you know, racing yeah. in GT cars around the world, but it's more, uh, another chapter of, you know, this book that I'm trying to write and, uh, you know, it may feel like it's a return to home, but it's just, a another avenue that I'm sort of exploring. And, you know, I don't know if I'll love it. I don't know if I'll hate it, but, uh, we'll find out in 12 months time. That's a One bloody thing good we answer, do- one thing we do know, though, Krause, is that he'll do well at it because that's just sort of the guy you are, Jackson. We've been fortunate enough to watch you in your career, cup career when you were here, and we saw you reach the pinnacle there. And then what you've done overseas in the last six years has been pretty spectacular as well. Thank you for spending some time with us, mate. It's uh, great to get your thoughts on season 2024. And we wish you all the best in what should be, a, hopefully, a successful year for you. Cheers. Thanks very much. Uh, it's obviously been a pleasure to chat with you guys. So hopefully I'll see you trackside. You will, no doubt about it. Jackson Evans joining us here on The Grid. We'll be back to more On The Grid in just a second. Now, let's face it. Everyone needs insurance. So when you need to renew your cover, the On The Grid hot tip is to give our mates at City Rural Insurance Brokers a call. City Rural have been dealing with the insurance industry for years, and they've got more than 50 years of industry experience. Need insurance for your business? They'll sort it. Are you a landlord and want to cover your rental properties or investments? They're your people. Or are you like me and need professional cover in case you say something silly on a podcast? City Rural can sort that too. They did it for me and it was super easy. The best thing of all is that City Rural are, like you and I, motorsport people. If you've watched car racing this year, you might have even seen their logo on cars like the legendary Richard Mork Super Ute, among others. They know our game, and they know the people that follow it. So support the people who back our industry. And when you need to throw a new setup at your insurance cover, drop Andrew and his team at City Rural Insurance Brokers a line, and they'll fix you up. Head to cityrural.au or follow the links on theracetalk.com. City Rural. Better cover, better service. And now... Back to the podcast. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. Second part of the program. It's always where we say good day to Mark Walker, who joins us now. Hello, Mark. Tony Shebeck here, Richard Crow. Richard, I can't believe it. You actually picked what was going to happen there on the weekend. You said <laughs> that sport was going to be the winner and sport had a big win. I mean, I think I tipped 9 one too, but you mm. picked sport was going to win that. Well done. Sport, thank you and welcome. Definitely sport was the winner on the weekend, wasn't it? What a good car yeah. race. Good, good sport. 
the Repco Bathurst 12 hour. And it was a thoroughly enjoyable weekend. Um, an event that felt entirely like it did before the old Rona thing came along. Um, good car race, bit of precipitation through a few curveballs at the day, which was excellent. And it was overall a really enjoyable weekend. So um, I feel like I, you know, you're throwing darts at the board. You're spraying pretty wide to say that sport's going to be the winner at the 12 hour because generally <laughs> sport is the winner at the 12 hour in most instances. But um, I feel like sport was definitely the winner on Sunday afternoon at Mount Panorama. Just you're, it out there. you're pretty confident now that uh, this is the best race in Australia. I think it's the best race in Australia. I, I still feel the Bathurst 1000 is more special um, because of its history and because it's the race that shaped my role in the sport and my impassion for it. But I think the Bathurst 12 hour is Australia's best car race. I think just the whole, the whole aspect of it, the day, the start, um, the brands, the manufacturers, the drivers, like where else in the world, Shebex, will you see Valentino Rossi and Craig Lowndes going head to head? It just doesn't happen. So I I think that's what makes it so unbelievably special. And it's got a vibe about it. I, you know, it's the, this year was a 21st 12 hour and, um, it's now got legitimate history. It's got its own backstory. It's got, you know, memorable things that have happened that make something cool. Some, something only becomes special and important in someone's life when it's played a significant role in it and when it's got a history of its own. And the Bathurst 1000 has 60 years of history. We celebrated that last year. But the Bathurst 12 hours has been around 21 years or 21 races now and longer than that in terms of time. So it's genuinely special. It's got its own history. It, it means something to people. It means something to Kelvin Vanderlinder who tried for years and years and years to win, to get, even just get a podium there, let alone win. It, it means something to um, Gilles Gounon who was, disappointed at losing having won the last three races in a row at losing this year by 2.6 seconds I, I think that's what makes it so special um and then i've got my own personal reasons for it because i've been involved for for more than 15 years and and i've called them all since 2007 and as a result it, it's been more fundamental this race to my quote unquote career um than anything else in australian motorsport so for me um, personally, I think it is Australia's best car race at the moment. There are a lot of winners. So, sorry, Specs. There are a lot of winners there in the weekend. Like you, you talk mm. about Rossi. I mean, how good was he? He was actually bloody good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, no different to any anyone else. Like it was just as fast, just as competent, just as mistake free, and just as excellent as the best GT drivers in the world. Wouldn't like, it be great to see I mean, him hop on a bike like, and do like, a lap of Bathurst just while he's there? Well, there were a group of us that flagged that, that we think from a demo point of view next year. So, Shebex, as you know, all the MotoGP teams go and test at Sepang before the start of the season because yep. the weather's always good up in Malaysia. So, Malaysia turns out not that far from Australia. 
So what we reckon should happen is that for the 12-hour next year, Valentino Rossi, who owns his own MotoGP team, mm. remember, VR46 Racing, they should just come here and cut some laps at Bathurst and VR should should ride one. Happy with that. So you reckon, you reckon Liam Lawson in a Formula 1 car was big last year? <laughs> <laughs> Can you? Could you imagine what Valentino Rossi actually riding a MotoGP bike? I don't know if BMW would let it happen, but uh, my God, that's something I'd pay cash money yeah, to see. Good. Yeah, it mm. would look good. Mark, I was going to say, we're talking about who wins at the Bathurst 12-hour and sport, definitely the winner. The people, though, definitely the winner. People like us who couldn't get there, the coverage of that event is just quite amazing. Oh, save some of that from the hots, please, Shebex. Yep. It was that's uh I'm very happy if I never go to that event and that quality of coverage gets pumped out. Mm. Anyway, I'll save that for hot. I'm gonna burn I'm gonna burn some hots right now, Mark. Okay and go. There've been there's been world class TV coverage of Bathurst for what, fifty years now? So Bathurst is responsible for the in car camera globally in motorsport, um, innovative camera angles and all that. You never thought you'd get to a point at Bathurst where you see a camera, a new camera angle and go, whoa, that's different and that's cool. And we had like two of them on the weekend and a third one, which was like a throwback, which was the camera down at Murray's mm-hmm. um, up on the cherry picker. And it was probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 feet up in the air where it would pick up the cars coming out of the elbow yeah. and track them all the way down over the undulations I'm making the motion now, and I realise this is an audio medium, so it's probably not translating particularly well. Um, and it would pick them up and then get them coming out of the chase as well. That That's an old school shot. But the camera angle, my favourite, the camera angle up high next to the driveway of the house on driver's right exit of the cutting, mm. that is just such a cool camera. Mm. And not only does it show how steep the cutting is, it gets the cars firing out of there really quickly. And then tracks them up over the over the rise up to Reed Park. Um, that's yeah, the it, thing it, there, Rich, is that the traditional camera that that have on the inside of the circuit or the outside of that right hand bend out of mm. the cutting, it it completely removes any feeling you've got that there's a corner correct. there. Because when you yep. go around there in a car, you go, oh, hang on, this is a big boy corner. It's completely bright line. There's a crest in the middle of it. Mm. Those two new cameras there, it showed that there is a proper big boy corner there that's TV for generations has been smoothing out for us. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think they were they were amazing, and they just massively enhanced the the view of Mount Panorama and how steep and how narrow it is. And I love the camera on the left hand side of the road coming up the shelf before they tipped into Solomon Park there and the right hander. I thought that was tremendous. So, um, yeah, it, it's amazing, isn't it, that sixty years in plus of of national level broadcasting at Mount Panorama they can still be innovating and doing new things. So I'm happy to burn a hot early in the show because um, yeah, it was, it was cool. And and it, they fire those up on Friday and I'll burn another hot right now because live <laughs> streaming Friday practice. And it had like 150,000 views on YouTube. It was ridiculously well supported. So paid for itself immediately. Um, yeah. We, we had no idea they were coming and we mm. jumped into first practice and there's this cool shot coming out of the elbow uh, out of the cutting, we're like, holy moly, where's that come from? So, yeah, great, really cool, yeah. hard hot. Oh, very, very, and of course, our uh, hots and knots apparently brought to you by Castro. No, Caltex. Yes, <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> if Castro would like to come on board, they they can. Uh, our hots and knots no, apparently brought to you. I want them. 
Yeah. <laughs> Hudson Knots proudly brought to you by Caltex. Uh, I thought I was the one that went to the pub, not you. No, no, no. Uh, the Festival of Motorsport up there at the moment, how's it going? Is it uh, a continuing thing? Well, eagerly, so we record this on a Tuesday night, Chebex, uh, as regular listeners of the show will know. Uh, and eager anticipation in town for the Wiggles. Ah, oh, yes, um, the free Wiggles was, concert. There's a Wiggles concert on Thursday, and I was in at uh, this morning, Tuesday morning, at B-Rock FM and 2BS Radio, Bathurst Broadcasters. Uh, you know a town's obsessed about motorsport when its radio station's call sign is after the guy that was the best at life at Mount Panorama, B-Rock FM. Uh, so I popped in there this morning to chat to a legend of local broadcasting, Kerry Picks, on 2BS and The Breakfast Show. Um, and they were 100,000% fired up for the Wiggles and genuine feedback that families in the region and beyond were coming into Bathurst to see the Wiggles and would stay for some car racing. As you would. So the, so the people that were panning it on social media, you're wrong. Um, it's genuinely good life choice. And uh, there's no better gauge of that than the local radio station because they are literally the pulse of the community. So uh, I thought that was very interesting. Um, quite a few people have stuck around in town. I reckon probably half of the supercar field have stuck around um, post Bathurst 12 hour, which is nice. Um, there's a good vibe in town. Shebex um, had the good fortune this afternoon being Tuesday. You'll listen to this on a Wednesday um, to pop down to one of the great Bathurst establishments. The Oxford used to be the Holden pub to catch up with a few of our media colleagues who have stuck around in town to follow all the stories. And yeah, it's a really good vibe. So I like it. It's great. So a couple things there. One, the Wiggles is talking to an audience that Supercars hasn't talked to in the past. Typically they'd, they'd get Icehouse down out of uh, yeah. out of the Cotton Wall, they'll play a concert and they're playing to people who are already at the Supercars event. They're not really right. dragging other people in there, but having yeah. the Wiggles involved, that that's just completely different audience. I mean, they're one of the most popular bands ever in the history of Australia for you know a generation of youngsters. So why wouldn't you try something yeah. different and put that on yeah. midweek. But anyway, that's yeah. one thing. And I think the other thing that's going to be as, as popular as the Wiggles, Matt Campbell. Yeah. What a, what a hero. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, I think he's probably one of the best results of the Australian motorsport system we've ever had. You know, you yeah. have guys like Weber, they do formula Ford, a couple of formula Holden races, bugger off. We'll never see him again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Maddie did short circuit racing through Southeast Queensland. He, came up through the state championship ranks, the national Formula Ford ranks, GT3 Cup Challenge, raced that dirty, stinking, bloody Fiat 500 at the, <laughs> the 12 hour 10 years ago. Think about that, yep. 10 years ago. And then Matty was just yeah. brought in there as a kid to try and qualify a car for some of the journos. And now he's a factory pilot for Roger Penske driving prototype Porsches, <laughs> wins the Rolex 24, rolls in here and absolutely smokes them in the Bathurst 12 hour. Like, yeah. Serious? He's a real thing, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's a pretty good guy at life right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's impossible to not. And, and, you know, Mark, you and I and, and Shebex. So with, many with people have been up. on the journey with him. Like yeah. every, every, he's touched so many lives along the way that we've all feel a part of what he's doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I called almost every one of his national level races in Australia mm. before he went overseas. I called that year a Formula Ford he did. And then, 
Michelin Sprint Challenge, which was 2014, 10 years ago, and that Bathurst 12 hour that year, and then onwards to um to to Carrera Cup and the championship and then overseas. And yeah, he was mighty, Mark. He was he was just awesome. And and what I, I think I love the most is that he is just still the same human being, mm. but he's got swagger. Um and 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 we picked this up the first year he disappeared overseas, and he came back with a little bit of the swagger that you've got to have to be a professional race car driver. You have to have it, and you know what I'm talking about. It. It's the level of like, yeah, I can do this. I'm, Just a level of confidence. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I back myself. I back myself to win Daytona. I back myself to win Bathurst. And and Matt, the kid, didn't have that, but when he went. And, and he won Carrera Cup here. And then he went overseas and did Super Cup and knocked off some of the best in the world. And Porsche paid attention and signed him up. And he came back. I was like, yeah, he, he knows it. He knows it. Without it being arrogant or anything along those yeah. lines. And, and the best thing is, is that he hasn't changed. Hmm. Um, he's still the same, the same pretty quietly spoken, reserved, friendly guy that he was when he was a kid but he's got that level of confidence and he's got that level of ability to have a chat and chat to the media and sell what he's doing really well. So Porsche has clearly been very good with that. And Roger Penske clearly been very good with that as part of the Penske system. So he's got all those boxes. Um, I, I met his girlfriend for the first time. She's lovely. Mum and aunt who have been part of the journey for so long were there still on the weekend. It, it, it's he's the full package now and and he is fully entrenched and the the best thing is he could finish this year having won Daytona which he's done winning Bathurst which he's done there's a very very real chance he wins Le Mans 24 hour um Porsche were pretty average there last year but they won't be this year you know that they don't do things by halves and certainly Roger Penske doesn't and he's now in the lead car in the biggest race, endurance race in the world. So they could end this year remarkably successful. successful. And, yeah, he came from Australia. Oscar Piastri's first car race in Australia was the Australian Grand Prix last year. Exactly. So I think that says it all, doesn't it? I was going to say, Roger Penske must be pretty happy with Australia and New Zealand, though. Seems to have yeah, served him well in the last few years. Pretty good. Pretty good. So, so the other revelation there was his teammate Goovan, like a rookie yeah. coming here. It's like I don't, I don't think anyone really expected a lot of him, and he went out there and demolished them. I mean, obviously the the BOP worked out well for the Porsche on race day, like it, it wasn't necessarily yep. there in qualifying trim, but he drove that thing bloody well. Yeah, and Ayang Chan Goovan did the most of the heavy lifting in the race as well. Um, Matt noticeably was in the car when it was wet. Yeah. Um, and, and that local experience paid off, but Goovin was particularly fast. He was looking at the entry list before the race. You looked at that car and went, yeah, look, they're probably the favorites, mm. but Goovin was probably the weak link in that car, given he'd never been there before. And that was, that was the only reason. Um, this is a guy that's knocked off the best in one mate Porsche racing, bit of DTM, bit of sports car. He knows how to drive the cars. It is, is, his pace was never going to be in question, but there's always a question mark over someone who's never been to Bathurst before. And he rolled in and he was spectacular from his first practice session. And from that moment, 
like at the end of Friday, when we left the track as a, as a commentary team and we were talking about it, having seen what Goovin had done on Friday, we sort of looked at that and went, well, unless there's something really bad that goes wrong for that Grillo Porsche, they're going to be the, the hardest card to beat because Porsches have always been really good over a distance at Mount Panorama in that race, regardless of BOP or anything like that. So we thought that they would be strong. And when Goovin was good in practice, we knew that that would be, that would be a big tick. And, and I'm the other thing I, I want to talk about, there's a couple of drivers that I'm genuinely thrilled that got a podium. So aside from Gilles Gunon, who I, I think is like, he's one of my favorite racing car drivers in the world at the moment for what he's done. And, and, John Hinoff and I talked to him on Thursday afternoon. We just had an amble up pit lane and saw him outside his garage and off camera, off recording. He wasn't under doing an interview or anything. And he was genuinely like, this place is the best, coolest place in the world. And when I drive into it every year, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. And and this was unprompted. So I get that. Um, it was hard. It's hard to feel sorry for someone who's won the last three races straight and didn't get a fourth. But at the same time, it would be one of the coolest stories if he had. Um, Kelvin Vanderlinde, Mark and I, for other reasons, have been fans of Kelvin for a long time. <laughs> but VDL is one of the most genuine blokes you'll ever meet. And he's one of the fastest, just rawest, fast racing car drivers out there. And I love that he got a podium finally because he, he adores this place. And Chris Harzer. Uh, Chris Arzo, this was his ninth Bathurst 12-hour and all of them were in a factory-backed Audi team and he's be- and this is a gun works Audi driver and before this year, his best finish was ninth <laughs> and he'd had four DNFs. He just had had the worst luck of any international driver that has ever come to this race showing the most speed. Um, and when he pulled that move, with nine and a half minutes to go in the race after Jackson Evans tried to pass um, um, the Sun Energy One car. We, we heard from Jackson earlier. And and the moment that that all went down, I knew that Chris Hazer was going to have a red hot go at jamming that orange Audi into the podium. And he did. And there was no one possibly outside of Jackson that was disappointed that that happened because Chris is just such an unbelievable talent and he's a lovely, lovely guy and just a proper, proper race car driver. He's never had the luck that he's possibly deserved at Mount Panorama. And it's not even been like Maro Engel. He's finished second before and got the pole and all that. It properly, properly unlucky at Bathurst. And and to see him deliver that in the way he did, I, I was so wrapped because it's the drivers like that that have been so important to the 12 hour over the journey in building it to become this international blockbuster that it is. So uh, that it was a, such a cool podium. It, it, every driver on that podium had a story, you know, whether it was Chris Hazer or whether it was Kenny getting his shirt off or whatever it was, like every element of it was such a cool story worth telling. And before we move on to this weekend, uh, the Triple Eight boys were the winners of the Supercars Drivers' Cup. They were the best place supercar drivers, I think, were they? Oh, oh well, Jackson Evans finished oh, Jackson, fourth. Of course so he was. Sorry, yes. You'd, you'd probably argue that probably argue that he was. Yeah, yeah, um, fair call. Yeah, look, Brock Feeney again was awesome in a GT3 car. 
He, he was huge, huge. Um, Provisional pole. But then, I mean, well, yeah, exactly right. And and second year in a row, he's qualified second. Both the two years, he's been beaten to pole by two tenths of a second, and that's it. Um, and Will Brown was very strong. Mick Grenier was good in that car. That like they were strong. They were in the mix. They just didn't quite have track position at the end. And the Mercs probably weren't quite as strong as they were in previous years. But then the depth of competition was much better this year than it was in the last two anyway. So it was it was hard to expect that Mercedes would go in with a level of dominance that they'd showed. But Triple Eight did a nice job. They were contenders in the Pro-Am Category 2 with, with Jordan Love, who was very strong in um, the car with Jamie Winkup and, and Prince Jeffrey. So, yeah, storylines abound. But, you know, Manti EMA won both Pro and Pro-Am. And the Pro-Am car was really strong. And Yasser Shahin's been trying to get a victory there. And the other one that we haven't mentioned is Liam Talbot, who gets an outright podium mm. um, using the Kenny Habul rule. And two of the three cars in the top three were drivers that were cars that had an AM driver in their makeup. Um, it's a great rule. I, I love that that rule exists because I think it opens up more people to come and run at the race. So you're an AM driver, you're, you're a bronze ranked driver. You probably know you're not going to win the race on outright speed, but you play to the rules. You can still get yourself on the podium. And that's what Liam did. And then Kenny did it again for the third year in a row. And, and I love that. I think it's a great rule. So as we move forward to this weekend, how much does three or four hours in a GT3 cup car or GT3 cup car let me try that again. A GT3 car, even. How much? Yeah. Uh, how much does that help you drive a supercar around Bathurst come this weekend? Well, I had a long conversation with Tom Randall about this, and we all love Tommy, and he's one of the most eloquent kids in the paddock. From a carry car speed here, turn in here, breaking point here, they're fundamentally different. Yeah, but there's still no substitute for race miles for being sharp, for awareness, for track conditions, for all of that. So I firmly believe that the nine full-time supercars drivers that did the 12-hour are marginally better than had they not done it. Now, will that play a role in Sunday, Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon in the V8s this weekend? Probably not, because even if... um, you know, one of the top supercar drivers didn't do the 12 hour. Is that going to make the, the fundamental difference between them winning or not? Probably not. But I, I just, I'm sure it plays a role. And, and so many of them wouldn't have done it if they didn't think they'd be better off for, mm-hmm. for doing it the week before they run a supercar there. I think it plays a role. Yeah, it must. Uh, Let's have a look at the support categories before we get into supercars. Plenty of things happening up there on the mountain, including uh, the Aussie race cars. Go on, then. Well, I'm waiting for you to say, yes, my car is racing. Well, yes, my car is racing. Yay. Good, good chat, lads. This is going well. Yeah. Any any, question, any questions? <laughs> How is the car, Richard? Is it uh, primed? Is it ready to go? Well, as we uh, as we talk, it's a third of the way over. Uh, as you listen to this, dear listener, it's probably better than halfway if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Um, if you're listening to this on Monday after the event, uh, I would imagine it's probably halfway back to South Australia. Um, we're we're ready. 
we're good to go. Uh, the Johnston Crail Racing Enterprises car um, completed a test day at the Bend on Saturday last weekend, and it was a very good test day by all reports. I was uh, slightly preoccupied at Mount Panorama, but um, we did a lot of laps. We did a lot of laps that were somewhere in the ballpark of reigning champion Joel Heinrich, who was always there, which is pleasing. Um and all was going well. So full rebuild of that car. It basically goes in a, a brand new race car on, on Friday this weekend. So we're ready, Shebex. It's been a huge process to get there. It's been quite stressful at points. Um, we've been trying to get sponsorship and things like that. And that's all been incredibly hard work and the market's pretty difficult at the moment, but we're committed to doing round one. We're going to be there. We're going to have a car that looks properly shit hot. And um, uh, whether it whether it goes fast or not, we'll see. But um, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a big go, and um, we'll see where it all lands at the end of it. But it's pretty exciting to to know that the first race meeting for our little race team is at Mount Panorama at Bathurst, which is um, pretty freaking cool. So yeah, we're um, we're we're pretty fired up. Ash is Ash is ready to go. He's he's. Very keen, very, very happy with the test day on Saturday and he's comfortable in the car now, which is the main thing. So, um, Will yeah, he be mic'd we'll, up? We'll, we'll see a, what happens. No, will no, watch the noise? No, 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 absolutely not. I'll be I'm guaranteed that there will be a someone close to you. I'm incredibly, an incredibly bad spectator, Shebex. Mm. But of a team that I follow. So sitting in the outer at, Adelaide over watching the Crows or yeah. the Strikers, bad, stressful. And so this Mark's is a team you own. Um, and this is one I've got a, a stake in. It's going to be worse. And on several occasions this weekend, uh, the Touring Car Masters, for which I will be commentating for Fox Sports and KO and Channel 7, if they get a race in that window, uh, immediately follow the oh. Aussie racing cars. Um so I'm not convinced uh, how many faculties I'll have left for those races, but um, I will endeavour to uh, persist my way through. I was going to say that the, the plan of attack could be you farewell the car from the dummy grid, you go over the bridge on yep. Conrod, go into the sunken lounge there in the chicane bar and grill at the bottom of Ridges, and you yep. can't actually see the track or know what's happening. Yeah, I, I did speak to our friend uh, of the show, Brad Owen, who runs the National Motor Racing Museum, and ask if I could seclude myself, potentially lock myself in zero five, uh, the 1984 Bathurst winner, which I oh. sat in last year. Um, I mean, if I'm going to go and stress somewhere, it may as well be somewhere Do nice. Do it in style. Yeah. Significant, right? Yeah. I thought yeah. it'd be more um, the panic room there with the uh, darkened uh, theatre yeah. they've got going the on. The theatre, yeah. Yeah, he said no to both. Um <laughs> And, and something along the lines of, of harden up, which which is fine, absolutely. What might happen is, um, and, and our livery will be revealed on Thursday, but I will give you one small tip. Um, in my not particularly glittering career as a sponsorship salesperson, um, I have done one sponsorship deal for the weekend, Mark and Tony, that I'm very proud of and may well prove to be my coping mechanism for the weekend. Uh, and that's Reckless Brewing. Yeah. Oh, who, you're beauty. Yeah, beauty. Who, with the BX Lager brand, will appear on the rear wing and Excellent. front of the uh, JCRE Aussie racing car. Um, 
it's I will flat out tell you right now, it's full contra. So no Good cash way. has changed hands, hey. but that's entirely fine. Uh, because I think I will need several pints of their delicious BX Lager, which I can highly recommend um, in responsible quantities, of course, ladies and gentlemen, drink responsibly and certainly don't drive, um, or be a team owner for that matter. Uh, um, yeah, so that uh, that may be where I disappear to. So if you're looking for me on the weekend, I'll be at the bar chatting to my mate, Jared. Wise. Wise move. Uh, Supercar-wise, boys, uh, any thoughts about the weekend? Wide open, isn't it? It is wide open, isn't it? Um, Last two champions aren't racing. Yeah, which, which is disappointing, but um, it, it's but it is impossible to know because we don't know parity. Uh, getting a form guide read is hard. I mean, form in supercars right now is Matt Payne is the most recent winner of a supercars race. Mm. I don't know what and that was in an old car. Yep. Mm. It's all yeah. changed a bit. Yeah. And the other thing I will throw out, gents, is I've been here since Monday a week ago. And on a lot of those days, it has been really, really muggy. And there has been a thunderstorm roll in at some point. Um, twice last week in the lead up to the 12 hour, there has been quite heavy rain. And on the Thursday, the, uh, sorry, the Wednesday, there was a large front that swept over the circuit and it dumped really hard for 15 minutes, torrential rain. And then two hours later, it was bone dry. And then, of course, we saw lots of rain on Sunday. And then on Monday afternoon in Bathurst, there was an enormous thunderstorm that rolled across and it dropped about 20 mil of rain in 15 minutes. And it was proper Armageddon. And every afternoon, there's been big clouds build up, a bit of a rumble here and there, really muggy. The, the point to this is, is that the weather is going to be very unpredictable and that on Friday, there is rain forecast. So this critical day of practice with these revised cars and this wide open form guide that no one knows anything about, um, it could be wet. Yeah. So bring, bring that on, I say. 100%. 100%. Uh, let's move on. To other things, uh, one of those two champions that won't be racing at Bathurst this weekend, of course, is Shane Van Gisbergen, because he's over in the States. Did he finally get out in the Xfinity race, Mark? Five days he, later he, or whatever it was. He, he got two races in. Um, I guess the adventure started earlier in the weekend there. He failed to qualify for the ARCA race, which was the prerequisite for him being signed off to do the Xfinity race. Uh, a driver by the name of Eric Cordell stepped aside, and if you read things on the internet and care to believe them, uh, he may have gone home with a straight car and $100,000. So uh, well done, Eric, there for making uh, that place available for Shane. Uh, in the race, uh, got to lap four when uh, he experienced the first thing in NASCAR life. He got uh, what I referred to as ass packed when uh, he just got absolutely run over by everyone. They slowed down, he slowed down. And pure Arca style, someone from a million miles back absolutely drilled him. They fixed the car, they patched it together. He got an extra 54 laps under his belt and um, he got signed off. But to give you a bit of the mindset of the truck drivers, uh, a bloke by the name of Andy Jankowiak. Jan Andy Jankowiak, great name. Uh, he was quoted on the in-car radio saying, I'm not lifting until I see God or a chequered flag. 
<laughs> Which absolutely yeah. tells you everything there. Um, in the Xfinity race, uh, it was in the thick of the action all night long. Howling really made one mistake. Um, he doored Jeb Burton, put him through the trial grass late, but he was sort of in the thick of it all night long there. The car looked like it finished second in the Demolition Derby, but uh, at the end of the night, he finished 12th and he was right in the mix. Uh, one of the last little uh, confrontations he had, he was right behind the ultimate winner, Austin Hill. So if he sort of stuck where he was and wasn't taken out, he had every chance of being right in the conversation there at the finish. So very uh, promising start there for SVG. You, you look at Ambrose, what he did over there in the minor leagues and the trucks and the Xfinity series when he did those back in the day, the best plate race result he ever got was 16th. So 12th okay. for SVG, first race up, uh, pretty decent result. And then I guess there was also the Daytona 500 happened. Uh, day <laughs> late there after the, uh, the rains came through Florida and... Yeah, that was uh, it was a big one. Um, it, it all sort of it was a good race. I thought it was a good race. It was entertaining the whole way through. You didn't really know there was comers and goers. There were different form, lines formed. There wasn't a lot of massive carnage until about nine laps to go. William Byron was right in the heart of the big one when that unfolded at the end of the back straight. But uh, he rebounded from that and brought the famed number twenty-four home for the victory for Rick Hendrick. Uh, the stats there were pretty impressive. It is 40 years to the day since Rick Hendrick started racing in NASCAR, and they've got over 300 Cup Series wins now and nine Daytona 500s, which brings them level pegging with Petty Enterprises. So uh, not a bad day out if you are Rick Hendrick. And even then, there was a bit of drama there at the finish. They had a bit of a crash coming to the white flag, and uh, after the white flag, uh, the next flag ends it, and they called the yellow a split second after the leaders went over the finish line. So that was effectively the finish of the race. It was just unfortunate that uh, Austin Sindrick spat up into the, into the traffic instead of just going through the grass. If he went through the grass, they would have raced the whole way around. But uh, NASCAR didn't really like the fact that he was going to have a massive head-on crash with everyone. So they threw the yellow and called it there. And then they, they called the race result off a shot from a helicopter some way up and behind <laughs> the leaders so there's a fair bit of uh internet chat there whether it was uh william byron who was given the win or his teammate uh alex bowman uh uh, willie byron and alex bowman so um they were going there was nothing in it at the finish and you know they can't really protest it they're teammates so who cares uh rick hendrick would have won it anyway so that was the daytona 500 next week they're off to atlanta which is essentially another sort of uh, slipstreaming super speedway race these days. So that could be quite interesting. Uh, the baptism by fire continues for Shane Van Gisbergen. With thanks to our great friends at Caltex, it's time for our hots and knots. Who wants to start? I'll, I'll launch it if you don't mind. Uh, hot to people that listen to the podcast. Uh, the number of people. Standing hot. Listen, the number of people that listen to the podcast. Uh that came up and told me they listened to the podcast uh, and then embellished that by saying they actually enjoyed it um, was amazing over the weekend. Generally flawed. Outstanding. Thank you very much for listening. You know who you are. We love um, you in, partic- in particular, the people that said that uh, whilst at Reckless Brewing, I believe on the Thursday night, um, who said they went there because they heard us talk about it on the podcast and they said that whilst I was talking to the owner of Reckless Brewing, uh, that very much helped 
me get reckless brewing on my Aussie racing car. So thank you. I really appreciate you guys uh, for helping us out there. Uh, I'd like to give a hot to Darren Curry and Grant Donaldson, who were in the triple one Mark two car in the Bathurst 12 hour on the weekend. They were 12 months ago. You might remember they auctioned off the roof of their car with a Valentino Rossi sticker on it uh, for charity and raised a ridiculous amount of money. Now, on Friday night, what they did was auction off a couple of paddock club tickets for uh, to the punters at the Shakedown Forum gathering at the Oxford Hotel on Friday night. Uh, there's two parts to that. One, what a nice gesture. Two, it raised fifteen hundred bucks Jewish. for charity, which is just cool. And three, they they were kind enough to donate that money. I understand to the Childhood Cancer Association of South Australia, um, which is the charity that I mandated be utilised for um, those buying misguided souls buying the Crowley Fan Club merchandise. Um, so I've got to say a massive shout out to those guys. That is a very kind and generous thing to do, and um, thank you for that wonderful gesture. So well done! Um, what a superb cause it goes to. So that's that's a massive hot. Um, I've already hotted my stuff about the broadcast. The Bathurst 12 hours, just a standing hot. Like that is such a cool car race. It's so special. It really is. Um, that's a massive hot. Um, the town of Bathurst gets a hot just because it's a nice place and I really like it and would absolutely happily live here. Um, I can't think of any. I've just like this. That's a, that's a moment of weakness there. Quite an ambition there by. Ah, uh, Crail. What's I'm that? Gonna, I want to move to no, Bathurst. Yeah. No, I didn't say that. I said I could quite happily live here. I didn't say I want to move here, but I could. No. I would be happy in this place. Okay. Good. Having said that, I've I've not done a Bathurst winter, and I know it does get pretty bloody cold here. So, um, hot to uh, Bathurst coffee. Mm. I believe Bathurst has the best coffee culture in Australia. I think it's better than Melbourne. Come on, settle down. I, 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 You've no, been drinking I will, beers. You, no, I will fight you about that. Per capita, per capita, Bathurst has better coffee and more numerous coffee holes in the world places than Melbourne, I reckon. Um, there's a new one that's opened up just a few doors up from uh, Bathurst Broadcasting on uh, George Street, just down from Jack Duggan's Irish Hotel. Highly recommended, by the way. Fantastic. Really mm. good. Crema on George, Shebex. Yeah. Crema on George, which is the staple hole in the wall coffee shop in Bathurst, on Sunday opened at 4 a.m. Bloody hell. Wow. 4 a.m. So they could get the pre-Bathurst 12-hour crowd. And wow. you know what? They were packed. So well done them. That is a massive hot. We often talk on this show about a failure of businesses to capture the local market and tailor themselves around the race. So well done, Crema on George. New ownership, under new ownership. Yeah, Still great that's... coffee. Well done, them. That is a, like a supreme hot for... Kudos uh, to them. Yeah, for targeting that and opening at 4 o'clock on Sunday morning. Well done. You saved a lot of lives. I'm not going to lie. That's all the hots I've got. Mark? 
Uh, look, once again, the Hots and Knots this week uh, getting results, or it might be a complete coincidence, but Sandown, they went to the effort of mowing the motorsport grass this week, uh, a week after the national TV cameras were there for the Speed Series. So that was fantastic to see. Uh, hot goes to Carlos Sainz, who said yes to Mercedes. I mean, they didn't ask him anything, but uh, he's <laughs> keen. So. Good on you, Carlos. Uh, the Tickford launch video. Um, can't believe Tom Rattenbury's already won the media award there. I mean, we're just going to have 11 months of wasting our time there, but well done, Tom. He's uh, winning the media awards. That was sensational. Uh, the theater of Jimmy Johnson having to race his way into the Daytona 500 and last lap pass on JJ Yaley and an absolute wobbler effort there. Uh, that was uh, really good stuff over there in the duels last week. Uh, hot goes to the formula winter series on the weekend in Valencia that saw all hot drivers disqualified from qualifying because of track limits breaches. They've been the whole lot of them, which I think is who got pole? No one. They just, no one. Was just yeah. scratched. No, none yeah. of you cancelled due to lack of interest. Okay. Well, the, these are absolute friends of the show. Hot goes to Reckless Brewing for sponsoring the KFC Audi. So, my favourite beer and Dirty Bird together at last. <laughs> How good could you could you imagine if KFC started selling BX lagers as a you know companion to Nine Nuggets? That would just be the absolute <laughs> end of it. I'll have the combo. Thanks. Right. Wink, wink. You know which combo we want. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be gone. Um, that race, Jeff Taunton, Angus Fogg, first mm. thing Saturday morning, the combined mm. sedans, that was such good motorsport. And yep. it was so terrifying because <laughs> the, the lap traffic was just everywhere you didn't want it. And these things were thorough missiles. And the sheep station they won must have been pretty good. Um, Paul Tracy in commentary, Richard Crail, explain that yeah. to us. That was awesome. That was quite cool. That was very cool. He and Hindoff go a little way back. So uh, Paul just ambled up to the commentary box. Um, we didn't even play that. Twice. <laughs> he just appeared. We're like, oh, you're Paul Tracy. You can jump in anytime, man. No worries. He's <laughs> cool. He's a good guy. Um, but yeah, further to what you said, the, the broadcast on the weekend was just awesome. Garth yep. Tander, absolutely mm. in his element. Like, Oh, you know, I didn't keep my eyes glued to the screens there for 12 hours, ran a bit of pocket KO, but you could run that in the knowing that you weren't missing anything. Like the, mm. the words that were describing what was going on, you didn't have to be looking at the screen to understand what was happening. And uh, that I'm serious. I'd prefer to watch that race on TV than to go there and stand in the rain for 12 hours. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, let's get straight. Let's get straight into our knots, boys, because we're uh, running over time severely. Oh, oh you've you've cut Mark off. No, no, he's there. No, but you've cut off his hot. I think he still had some to go. Oh, sorry, Mark. Did you still have more? Nah, bugger. Okay. Um. Okay. Knots. Uh. My friend Jack Perkins for mid race finding and promoting the Crosby Fan Club on live national television. Not. How dare you? Um, that's that's a hard knot, isn't it? Terrible. Um, uh, I was debating over this. I, I've got to give a knot to the mandatory stint length BOP. Um, it, it took a lot of the strategy fun out of the race. Uh, it made Chad Nalon and my life a lot easier because usually we on a little WhatsApp group uh, calculating who's doing what for fuel strategy and pit stops and things like that. And 
um, the rule that they had to do 32 or 33 laps, you know, in the rain took a lot of that away from it. And, and it basically meant everyone would end up stopping on about the same lap. We were fortunate that we had such a good race, I think, despite the regulations placed on strategy. Um, so it took a bit of that, that will they, won't they out of it, which, which was a bit frustrating. So that that's probably my big knot for the race. BOP is great and Bathurst is great for BOP because it remains the track where every manufacturer can do something good. Noted by the fact that only four years in the 13 that there's been GT3 races there, there hasn't been three different brands in the top three. So we had it on the weekend again with three different brands in the top three. So it's a great track for BOP, but we have to be careful that we don't overmanage the race with balance of performance regulations, let the teams be smart and let them be better than the other team at doing endurance racing. That would be my biggest knot of the week. And that's all I got. My only other knot is that I didn't go to reckless every night. And I'm sorry. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Sandown security. They've done it again. I can't believe yep. it. Good. Um, look, there's too much motorsport on, on the weekend. So Richard, you missed the blend line coverage from Sandown, which was I did. sensational. I but plan they- on watching it on demand though. They had a fly cam. They had in-car cameras. They had one built into the brick wall at the end of the back straight. It was fantastic. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Fly cam? They had a fly cam. Sandown State Road. You didn't have that at Bathurst, did you, mate? No, we did not. Anyway, uh, Nashville not having the IndyCar race downtown through Broadway. That's not. uh, They've sort of turned their nose up at uh, NASCAR running the dirty old oval, and IndyCar's going to have their... Season finale and a cookie cutter NASCAR oval at the back lot. So uh, that's a hard not. Not goes to the PCR World Tour not happening. Can't mm. help but think that somehow Mikel has Kona's fault there. <laughs> uh, not goes to the Friday Grand Prix at the Vic State where they lump the different classes together with terrifying consequences. You know, obviously you can't mix Formula Vs and Formula Fords because they're slightly different speeds but uh it was okay to throw the historic touring cars and old mate with his nascar engine mustang in with the xls so that was really well done um look commentators not from new south wales talking up how wonderful new south wales is i'm not buying it <laughs> no, com- the, the, no that's only, fair. the only other thing in eight million hours of brilliant coverage from bathurst on the weekend that got my goat was uh one particular commentator was rattling off all the list of legendary acts that have played at the Sydney Opera House over the years mm-hmm. and was only able to name Ice House as yes. having played there. I believe I also mentioned Simple Minds for what it's worth because they played there last weekend. <laughs> Richard, Ice House has a standing residency in the Supercast paddock. If you go downstairs yeah. this weekend, Ivor Davies will be busking out the back of Garage 26, I reckon. I like Ice House, Mark. They we have no problems with that. I'm with you, and Richard. That's the most famous thing that's ever played at the Sydney Opera House. That's uh, good well, stats. Uh, probably. I, You know, in hindsight, should I have mentioned Crowded House playing their final ever concert in Australia there? Yes, I well, should have. Literally, But technically they played on the front steps. It wasn't actually in the Opera well, House. Yeah. Right, thank you. I, no, thank you for backing me up. I appreciate you. Yeah, finally, I can't believe it, but the... Apparently, the boat carrying the Vortex back to France had trouble backing out of Botany Bay and shunted it into Sydney Airport. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> and that was their weekend. <laughs> uh, boys, thank what? you so much for uh, for joining us again this weekend. Look forward to doing it again next week. 
We'll review the first supercars round and uh, let's see how uh, Johnston Crail Racing Enterprises goes, shall we? Yeah, good luck to you, mate, with that one. Uh, have a great weekend, boys. And we hope you have a great weekend too. Thanks for listening to us right here on The Grid.